And uh, grab your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John. Book of 1 John this morning. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, all the way to the back there. 1 John chapter 5. And uh, I also want to welcome back the Brayleys. The Brayleys are with us this morning. So praise the Lord. I'll still blame Mrs. Legault and not the Brayleys who've been gone for a couple of months down in Florida. I'm gonna, I'll blame Mrs. Legault instead. I like that uh, far better. So, uh, But uh, welcome out this morning. First John chapter 5, we're going to continue a series that I have been doing. And uh, thankfully, they're standalone messages. They're just kind of all put together, one right after the other. And I'm covering a, a whole list of things that I find to be very important throughout the Scriptures, especially in particular to the church. And uh, so we started with the importance of the Bible and why God gave us the Bible. And we started with uh, that. We went to prayer and why God gave us the privilege of prayer. And uh, from there, we went to the the, uh, the local church and why we have a church building that we can come to and we can meet together and why the Lord gave us that. And, and then we, we also got into uh, why we ought to be a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ and why we ought to try to win souls. And uh, so uh, those are the last four. And now uh, on to number five, and this is a new one. I, I, just, I just finished it again this morning. I looked it over and changed some stuff. And so this morning... As we get ready, we're having our in-house revival meetings this week. Uh, I, I purposely put this one in right here. And I did it on purpose. And uh, I did it because uh, in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7, uh, we see a verse that, amazingly enough, if you don't have the right Bible, uh, isn't in. Uh, but he says this in verse number 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, most people in the world, they, uh, you know, they, the, the idea is, well, God is God, you know, and then they put him as God the Father, and then you get into religions, and God the Son is a separate God entirely in some religions, uh, and then you get the Holy Ghost, and uh, some groups, they magnify the Holy Ghost, and they do all sorts of crazy things with him, and uh, the, the reality is the three of them are one. It's, it's the Godhead. Uh, and this morning, though, uh, I'm going to talk in particular about that last one, the Holy Ghost. Now, that gets people all sorts of nervous in our circles, especially start talking about the Holy Ghost. And they immediately go, of course, uh, to, the book of, uh, to the book of John in chapter 16 and verse number 13, and, uh, where the Holy Ghost, he won't speak of himself. But he'll speak of me, Jesus says. He'll speak of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that's, that's where the charismatics and stuff, they get it all crazy and they get off the rails and they start talking about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost and, the Holy, and that's all they ever talk about. Uh, and that's, that's, a mis, that's a misbalance right there. That's all that is. Now, the problem we have in our churches is that people neglect the idea of the Holy Ghost and how important he is in our lives. If you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I'll get to that a little bit more here in a minute, uh, but if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Ghost plays a vital role in your spiritual walk. Uh, he played a vital role in your salvation. He played a vital role in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ when He was here on the earth. Uh, the Holy Ghost has been working since Genesis chapter 1 in creation. 
The Holy Ghost is part of the Godhead. He is part of God. He is God in a form of the Holy Spirit. That is His title. Uh, you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, look over at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Now, uh, most of you know me uh, and how I preach and how I do my notes. So when I look at my notes and I think, number one, that's a whole lot of references. And number two, that's a whole lot of notes. Uh, we're not going to go everywhere that I have, okay? Uh, if we would, the storm would be passed because it's going to be tomorrow or Tuesday by the time I finish, okay? So well, I'm not doing that to you this morning, I promise. Uh, but Acts chapter 5, I want you to see this. You have Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, right? Uh, they go ahead and they sell their possessions and they go ahead and they're going to lie to God. They're going to lie and bring just a part of it. And in verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? So who'd they lie to? The Holy Ghost. Verse, verse 4. Whilst it remains, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Well, then the Holy Ghost is God. You say, well, that's not enough. Okay, that's fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. I'll give it to you twice. And if, if you don't like that enough, then you can ask me later. I'll give you a pile more. Uh... Because it happens more than a couple of times throughout the scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Paul asked the question, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Uh, you're the temple of God. That's who you are. And the Spirit of God, that'd be the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. Look over at chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse number 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God? Well, is it the temple of God or is it the temple of the Holy Ghost? Well, they must be the same. That's what you are. Uh, did he lie to the Holy Ghost or did he lie to God? Well, both. He's God. They are, they are equal. Uh, he is part of the Godhead. He's part of the three and Jesus Christ is not some lesser God, and the Holy Ghost is not some weird thing that goes off to the side, and He's not part of it. The three of them are in concert, and they are exactly called in uh, the book of Titus, they're called the Godhead. And amazingly enough, He also, we won't go to all these references. If you'd like, you can write some of these down. This is all just part of my introduction, so uh, I, I'm... I'm trying to build on this a little bit. Uh, he not only is he God and listed as God, he is also has the divine attributes of God. So what do you mean by that? Well, the Romans chapter 8 and verse 2 and John chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, you find out that he brings life. Isn't that God's job right there to bring life? Well, John chapter 3, you must be born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Uh, you don't get new, the new birth without the Holy Ghost. Uh, the Spirit shows up. Uh, Jesus Christ, His statement is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But John chapter uh, 14 and verse 17, John chapter 16 and verse 13, 
1 John chapter 5 and verse 6 all list the Holy Ghost as being truth. He's the spirit of truth. Well, he's got divine attributes. You realize God is love. Ah, but so is the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. God is holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Well, the Holy Ghost is, well, he's holy. He has holiness. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 and Romans chapter 1 and verse number 4, you'll find those. Uh, he's eternal in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. That's the God. That's God. God's eternal. He's, he's not only that, but the three huge characteristics of God that everybody likes to go to, right? He is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. He is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. And he is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. You realize the Holy Ghost has those same three characteristics? Uh, you find his omnipotence in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, Job chapter 33 and verse 4, and Psalm 104 and verse number 30. His omniscience you find in John chapter 14 and verse 26, chapter 16 and verse 12 and 13, and then again in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. You find his omnipresence shows up in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 12, and in Micah chapter 3 and verse 8, and in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 7. Uh, the Holy Ghost has these divine attributes on purpose because he's God. That's why he has them. Uh, that's, that's why he gets to have those things. His grace, he's gracious, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. Not only that, but he's righteous in Romans chapter 8 and verse 4. You realize the Holy Ghost is God. That's, that's who he is. He is part of the Godhead. Now, oftentimes we reference God as God, and that's God the Father that we're referencing. Uh, we reference Jesus Christ. He's the Son. We reference him repeatedly. And the Holy Ghost kind of gets left off to the side like he doesn't do anything. And that's not the case. The Holy Ghost is very active, but he doesn't like to take the forefront. And he's not supposed to have the forefront. But this morning, I want to preach on him because he is so vital. We're going to have revival services. Uh, he is so vital to, uh, number one, the world, just as the world, as creation. Uh, he's vital to the lost man in coming to a Savior. And he's vital to the Christian just to make it through this life and be able to have any standing with God. And so today, we're going to preach on the Holy Ghost and how he is important to everybody on the planet, whether they recognize him or not. And, and I don't mean this to, to boast up who the Holy Ghost is, uh, but I think we've done a disservice when we don't talk about him and how great he is to us. He is vital, and uh, he, is, he is an amazing part of the Godhead that oftentimes gets overlooked. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll, uh, we'll see the Holy Ghost in our lives today. Lord, I do thank you for the day. I thank you so much for bringing us here. I thank you for... Father, the safety that you gave us to be here. And Lord, I do pray that you would bless those who could not make it and Father, couldn't, couldn't come through the weather or couldn't come because of sickness or couldn't come because they're out of town or whatever else. Lord, I do pray that you would bless them and take care of them. I pray those that are listening would be able to gain exactly what you want them to gain as well as those that are here. Father, that those here would get a blessing, Lord, for uh, coming and meeting together and being able to be here. Lord, once again, I do pray that you would help us, Lord, as we look at the scriptures that I would do, I would do and say exactly what you want done this morning, that Jesus Christ would be praised, and Lord, that you would draw men closer to you. 
Father, we love you and we do pray you'd get the glory in Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, uh, if you would, uh, turn back to the book of Job, Job chapter 33. Job chapter 33. Uh, I want to talk first of all about the, the work of the past. Uh, what, what did the Holy Ghost do in the past uh, leading up to the present? And we'll work our way through those. Uh, but uh, what, is, what has the Holy Ghost done in the past? As part of the Godhead, he's had his hand in a lot of things. Uh, but truly, uh, Job chapter 33 and verse number 4. says, the Spirit of God hath, hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And what made him? The Holy Ghost made him. You go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2, right? The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Where was he? He was active in creation. He's active in making you. He's active as the creator uh, to go ahead and make sure that we understand that God is the creator. But not only that, he used uh, not just himself, he used his son. He is the creator. By him all things consist. We know that. Uh, he is before all things and by him all things consist. And then you get to the Holy Ghost. You know what? He was active. He was active in creation. You get to Job chapter 26, just a few pages back. And verse number 13, uh, he was talking about the universe being made. It says, by his spirit hath he garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Uh, his spirit, what did he do? Uh, by his spirit, he garnished the heavens. He made the skies look pretty. By what? Well, by his spirit. That's amazing. Uh, you look around, we marvel, we talk about the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, while the spirit had, a, had, some, had some work that goes along with those fingers. According to that right there. The Holy Spirit had a key role in creation. Not only that, look over at, uh, oh, we'll go to Acts chapter 1. I have so many references for all of these uh, that I really don't, I don't want to take you everywhere. I, I, I promise, I'm going to try to consolidate. Uh, but Acts chapter 1, and I know I'm going to move quickly this morning. I don't want to, I don't want to slow down too much. But uh, notice, uh, not only is he involved in creation, he's involved in the revelation. Uh, the Holy Ghost's job is to reveal who God is to a world and what God wants, wants told to the world about Himself. Uh, you go back to Samuel and it's, and it's the idea the Holy Ghost shows up and tells them what they need to know. Uh, here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Uh, he goes, hey, uh, this had to be fulfilled. The Holy Ghost gave that to David to tell us so that we would know this was going to happen here in the future. You get over to First Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, and he talks about holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's how you got the scriptures. God's revealing himself in the pages of a Bible. You say, how did he do that? He did that by the work of the Holy Ghost. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, didn't, didn't God preserve? Absolutely, God preserved. He preserved it through the power of a Holy, the Holy Ghost showing up and speaking to those men and working in the hearts of men. The Holy Ghost has a key in, in doing what? In making sure you have a preserved, perfect Bible that you're holding on to. That's how it works. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Well, where did that inspiration come from? According to 2 Peter chapter 1, it came from the Holy Ghost. That's why you got a Bible. That's why you know anything about God. God reveals Himself by the Holy Ghost showing up and leading and guiding us into all truth. You don't have the truth without the Holy Ghost showing up and letting you know. Amazingly enough, uh, if you would turn back to the, uh, we'll go to Matthew, if you would. Go to the book of Matthew. Boy, we are going to turn everywhere this morning. I've already broken my semi-rule that I have, all the preacher class knows. Sunday morning, you keep it simple. You only go to a few spots just in case people don't feel comfortable turning in their Bibles a little bit. Uh, so you take it easy on them and you go to maybe five places. We're already past that. All right, we're not even through point number one and we're already past that. So uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to not beat you up too badly, all right? Uh, but here we are in Matthew, Matthew chapter, chapter number one. He shows up in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, part two of the Godhead has part three of the Godhead helping him right here. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 20. But while he thought on these things, Joseph, uh, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. The conception of Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost, was the thing that was involved right there. To make it possible for the sinless Son of God to come into a world. That's the work of the Holy Ghost. You wouldn't have a Savior without the Holy Ghost stepping in to do something amazing. John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, we'll kind of roll through the book of Matthew here. Matthew chapter 3 for a few places. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number uh, 16, Jesus Christ comes to the waters of Jordan. He comes to see John to be baptized of him. Not to wash away any sin, Jesus didn't have any of that. So what's he doing? He, he did it. Uh, you read the passages, you find out he, he suffered it so to be, for righteousness sake. Uh, he says verse 15 here, he says to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, what was it? It was the right thing to do, so he did it. Doesn't save Jesus Christ. What's he getting washed away? He's the, he's the son of God. He's sinless. He's perfect. He has no reason to get baptized outside of the fact that the nation of Israel was called to a baptism and they were supposed to do it. So he says, you know what? You got to baptize me, John. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. So I'll do it. So I don't want to do that. Well, is it the right thing to do? Well, I don't have to do that. Well, is it the right thing to do? We'll get to that stuff here in just a moment. Uh, but uh, he says here in verse number 16, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. At the baptism of Jesus Christ, you know who's working? The Holy Ghost is working. Holy Ghost is integral in, in over and over again to the life of Jesus Christ. Look down two more verses, verse number 1 of chapter 4. Then was Jesus led, by, led up of the Spirit, there he goes, into the wilderness. He's about to have his great confrontation with the devil right here, and the Spirit was the thing that led him up. The Holy Spirit goes ahead and leads him, willing to lead him even into a place of temptation so that he could have victory and prove that you and I could have victory. He's part of his public ministry. Uh, look at verse, uh, 
Oh, I'm sorry, we've got to go over to Luke for this one. I apologize. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Verse, uh, verse number 16, he goes into the synagogue and he goes to stand up. And he's going to read from the book of Isaiah, verse 17. Verse 18, he finds the, or verse 17, he finds the place. Verse 18, he starts. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You want to know how the Lord uh, was uh, working, and as he was doing all those miracles, you know what was happening? The Holy Ghost was there. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit was upon me. Why? So that I could do the things that I do. His earthly ministry. All the things Jesus did, you know who was there with him helping? The Holy Ghost. By the way, Christian, we'll get to you in a minute, but Christian, just remember, uh, without me, you can do nothing. And without the Holy Ghost, you're not doing a thing. Uh, the excellency is of him and not of us. Uh, look over at uh, oh Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 14. The Holy Ghost had part in the death of Jesus Christ. Say, what do you mean? Verse number 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The sacrifice he makes at Calvary to pay the debt of our sins, you know what he says? That was done through the Spirit. The payment's made. Why? Because of the Spirit helping. Through the eternal Spirit he offered himself. Why? Because he was led of the Spirit to do what he did. That argument in the garden, not my will but thine be done, say who ends the argument? The Lord does by submitting to what the Spirit told him to do. Because he's led of the Spirit. He's part of the resurrection. Uh, look over at 1 Peter chapter 3. To the, to the right, just a few pages. He says, chapter 3 and verse number 18. For Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus Christ is put to death in the flesh and then the Spirit brings him right back. The resurrection is done through the power of God. Well, how did he exercise that power? Through the Holy Ghost. It's amazing. He's all over the ministry of Jesus Christ and everybody looks around and goes, wow, he doesn't really matter. Now I'm all for, I'm, I'm not for the idea of, well, it's all about the Holy Ghost. It's obviously not. God uses that office. He uses that portion of who he is to be able to exercise and to do what he needs to do with that power and utilizes the Holy Ghost in that manner. But that doesn't supersede Jesus Christ and his position. But they're all together. Look back at John. John chapter 16. The Gospel of John chapter 16. 
So that's how the Holy Ghost has been working through times past. And, and all the way up through the life of Jesus Christ, his hand is inserted throughout all of time. He's there at creation. He's there giving revelation to man over and over and over again, revealing to him who God is and what he is trying to do and ending up with you and I having the scriptures in its entirety for us. Uh, he goes ahead and he works through the ministry of Jesus Christ all the way up from his conception to his resurrection. But what's he doing right now? Well, John chapter 16 and verse number 7. Jesus Christ makes the statement, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, is it, ex it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Uh, he is the comforter. That's another name for the Holy Ghost. You find that repeatedly throughout, especially John, John chapter 14, John chapter 16 especially. Uh, and the Holy Ghost shows up. And what is he going to do in the world today? In a lost world, a world without Jesus Christ, a world that has never accepted him, the Holy Ghost's job is to do three things. It's to convince the world it's to reprove them and convince them of these facts, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now we can take those words and we can run with those words and we can just go ahead and do that. But the Lord told you exactly what he meant by those words. First one is of sin. Why? Because they believe not on me. Now sin is a wonderful uh, concept for mankind. Mankind decides how terrible a sin is or how great a sin is or how, uh, you know, you can let that one slide. That's just a little white lie. We can let that one go. Mankind has these really funny ideas about sin. Uh, but God is pretty plain about what sin is. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. Don't do the right thing, that's sin. You know what's good and you don't do it? Well, that's sin. Uh, that's pretty simple. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. God has those three definitions that he has incorporated into the scriptures to make sure you understand easily what sin is. But right here he says sin because they believe not on me. Now here's the reason he says it that way. I want, I want you to understand this very clearly. There is not one sin in this life that you and I can commit that makes us worthy of a lake of fire for all of eternity except rejecting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Say, so how do you know that? Uh, you kill somebody in this life, you know, what, you know what the punishment is? God had a punishment for that. Say, so what is that? Life for life. Capital punishment. You steal, there's ways to repay, there's all these laws. You go through Levitical law, you know what you find? You find there's a way to take care of pretty much everything. What do you do when you kill the Son of God? How do you fix that? You killed the eternal God of the universe. How do you fix it? Well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, not judgment in this life. This life's nothing. It's the question of eternity. What do you do with the, the question of, well, uh, is everybody's sin paid for? Well, Jesus Christ paid it all. 
He laid down his life a ransom for many. He died not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The payment for all of our sins is accessible. But by rejecting Jesus Christ, you not only pile on the sin that you already have and have to pay for in this life, you also then have to go ahead and take the punishment for not trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save you for all of eternity. John chapter 3 makes it very plain. He that believeth on me is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The condemnation is that mankind decides they don't want the light that God gives them. They reject that light. And the light is the truth of the word of God. The light is Jesus Christ himself stepping in. And the light was shown to you by the Holy Ghost telling you that Jesus Christ is the Savior and he died for your sins. And the world is reproved by that statement. Over and over again, Jesus Christ has done more than he needed to do to prove that he is the Son of God who gave his life so that you could have eternal life. And he rose again by many infallible proofs. And feel free, you can reject if you want to. But in rejecting, you reject and fall under the just condemnation of God. What do I have to worry about? Because of righteousness. He came to, to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness. Because I go to my Father and you see me no more. What does that even mean? It means that he proved he's the only one who's righteous. He proved that he had the righteousness of God when he came up from a grave and went back to his father. That's what he proved that day. He proved that he was the righteous lamb of God. The sinless lamb of God. That could take away the sin of the world if they would have him. And when he proved that he was righteous. He rose from the grave. Nobody else gets to rise from the grave. Never to die again. You don't have one example outside of Jesus Christ. Rises never to die. Well, he brought Lazarus out of a grave. Yeah, Lazarus died though. He died a second time. Jesus Christ rose and said, I'm not going back. I, I took the keys of death and of hell when I walked out. And I, I'm not going to die ever again. The righteousness of God is proved even at his baptism. He's choosing what is right to do. There is not one thing that you can ever find wrong with Jesus Christ. Pilate has him in front of him and he's questioning him and he's questioning him and he's questioning him. You know what he says? I find no fault in him. <laughs> they go, yeah, but. And he goes, I find no fault in him. They go, yeah, but hang on. And he says, I find no fault in him at all. How many times do I got to walk out here and say there's nothing wrong with this fella? Okay, fine. I'm washing my hands of this thing. You go ahead and kill him. By our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Okay. But what if he is the son of God? 
Well, if he is, then you're in a whole lot of trouble because he doesn't deserve a condemnation of death. Well, who can prove it? You look at all the miracles Jesus Christ did by the time you get to the end of the book of John. John's statement about Jesus Christ is that even the world itself could not contain the volume of books that should be written about all the things that he had done and said. Everything Jesus Christ did and said in this life, if you were to put them all down, you know what you wouldn't have? You wouldn't have the books to be able to contain everything that he did. You'd run out of paper and ink and space to contain. That's how great he was. That's why the offering of salvation is that he'll give you the righteousness of God in exchange for your sins. Now to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he makes that statement. He says that uh, he makes the statement about Jesus Christ, God, about Jesus Christ. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Say, what's the world doing? Uh, or what's the Holy Ghost doing for the world? He's letting them know that there's sin and that there's righteousness and of judgment. Notice what he says about it, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Now, who's that? That's Satan. You run all the cross-reverence you want to, that's Satan. The God of this world, the prince of this world, he offers Jesus Christ the kingdoms. Well, that means he holds them. Jesus doesn't say, no, those aren't yours, they're mine. He says, well, no, thou shalt not worship Anybody, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. His answer is, I'm not worshiping you. I'm not falling down and worshiping you. Instead, you, you got to worship me. And one day I'm going to get all the worship and I'm going to get all those kingdoms. <laughs> he didn't say that yet, but that's truth. And you say, what, what's he doing? Uh, well, if Satan's going to get judged... You find out later year of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, he will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Say, so what is he? He's, he's king over all the children of pride. And you and I, without Jesus Christ, you know what we were? We were a child of the devil and a child of wrath and a child of disobedience. We are stuck under the rudiments of this world and you realize that, uh, hey, guess what? If Satan's going to get judged and his judgment is going to be a lake of all of eternity, then what are his followers going to have? A lake of fire for all of eternity. Say, what, what is the job of the Holy Ghost today? It's to let the world know that a Savior came in to take care of those sins. It's to let them know that without his righteousness... They are going to spend eternity under the judgment of God in a lake of fire. Turn over to, uh, excuse me, John chapter 3. I have been, <clears throat> I've been fighting this cold. And there it is. John, John chapter 3. Now, now you get into the life of, 
of, of the Christian that shows up. When you get, you get the ability to figure out of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, and I got some, thank you. And uh, you get into that situation, you know what you find? You find that you need a Savior. And when you call upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, notice, notice what happens here in John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Say, so what does the Holy Ghost do for the Christian? He goes ahead and regenerates the Christian. He gives you a brand new life, a brand new birth. He makes sure that you go ahead and have a whole new life. It's not turning over a new leaf and making everything better. It's not you and I uh, making it right and fixing it up ourselves. He makes sure we understand that we become a new creature in Christ and old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. When you and I got salvation, the Holy Ghost regenerated something that was dead. The Bible says, and you hath he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins. He brought us back to life. There's something broken, something dead inside of us between us and God. The lost man doesn't have communication with God. The lost man, he can't, he can't understand God. He can't figure him out. Uh, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them, for they are foolishness unto him. For they're spiritually discerned. And when you and I got salvation, that part of us that was broken, that part of us that was not whole, that part of us that was dead in trespasses and sins came to life again. Made it possible for you and I to communicate with the God of the universe. Here you are in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I apologize. I thought my voice was holding out better. I got a little too excited, I guess. We read this earlier in verse number 16. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, <clears throat> he makes sure we understand that when you got saved, not only did you get regenerated, you got the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came inside of you. He's in you to make sure that you have that communication open between you and God. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. He's inside of us. He's saved you for all of eternity and he comes inside. Not only does he want to come inside, we won't go to all these, but uh, he does a ton of stuff for us. So I'm going to try and give you some. He says in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and verse number 18, he says that he fills us. Be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You can be filled with the Spirit. He's in there, but you can be filled up and have him take control. And take possession. Uh, he says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30 that we are sealed 
onto the day of redemption by that Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit seals us forever. Uh, the Holy Spirit puts that seal on there, and you know what He does? He makes sure you and I understand that we're saved forever. The eternal security of the believer is there because God has sealed us by His Holy Spirit to make sure that you and I are sealed forever and we can't lose it. You and I can't break the seal. That's sealed by the power of God. Who in here has enough power to break that? Well, nobody. Nobody breaks that seal. He wants to indwell us. He wants to fill us. He seals us. Romans chapter 8, you know what he does? He, he gives groanings which cannot be uttered. He intercedes for us. You ever been in the place where you're down and you're so discouraged and you're so depressed and you, you got nothing left and your answer is, I don't even know what to say, God. And you just sit there and cry. You just sit there and weep and you don't know what else to do and the Lord says, don't worry, I'll take care of letting... Holy Ghost says, don't worry, I'll let the Father know what you need. Groanings which cannot be uttered. John chapter 14, we read it earlier, he's the comforter. And you know what he's got sent to do? He's sent to comfort you. You and I have a whole lot of troubles and a whole lot of problems. Salvation didn't eliminate our problems. You know what salvation does? It gives you somebody to go through your troubles. It's somebody that's there and is going to comfort you. It's going to be a friend that Job didn't have. It's not a miserable comforter all you all. It's, it's the best comforter you ever have. He knows what to tell you and he knows what to do and he knows how to act and he knows how to be there for you and he knows how to put his arm around you and let you know that he cares. He knows how to answer your prayer. And he knows what's best for you. What a great comfort the comforter is. He's working, in the Holy, he's working through the Holy Ghost uh, to go ahead and give you wisdom. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that uh, Paul makes the statement, his speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Uh, he spoke in not the wisdom of the world in verse number 6, but in the power of God in verse number 5. He chooses the wisdom of God. You say, where did he get it? From the Spirit of God. Our problem is, we don't want that wisdom. We want the world's wisdom. The Holy Ghost trying to give you God's wisdom. Well, I don't understand. Well, he wants to give you his understanding as well. If you keep reading in the chapter, verse 9, all the way through the end, I have not seen nor ear heard nor Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that loved him, but hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. The Lord starts giving you understanding by what? The Spirit. He gives you wisdom and then he gives you understanding. And you get those things by the Holy Ghost. Because if he's not helping, you and I aren't going to understand a thing. You ever been in a situation and, and you go, boy, I don't understand this. And then later the Lord gives you some light and you go, oh, that's why. Oh, that's why. And you'd have never figured that out yourself. But the Lord goes ahead and shows you. John chapter 16 and verse number 13. He tells us that the Spirit is come and that He will guide you into all truth. You know what he wants to do? He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He wants to give you direction in your life. 
oftentimes we have prayer requests and we have different things that come up and excuse me people are asking for direction that the Lord would direct and guide or would give them some answers and some wisdom and some understanding all those things so where does that come from that comes from the Holy Spirit in their life giving them guidance and wisdom trying to show them the way they ought to go as opposed to the way that they had been going because if he doesn't show up and give them all those things they're not getting it Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 16, he says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Everybody loves the verse, right? Philippians chapter 4. Verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's the Holy Ghost. Interesting, just a side note, not in my notes, but uh, you get to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his full title, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he's all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Lord is a reference to God the Father, the soul. That's who he is. Old Testament, the Lord, the Lord God, over and over as a reference to God the Father. Jesus is the name of the man that showed, the Son of God. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his... That's part two of the Trinity. Say, so what's Christ mean? It's the anointed one. Who anointed the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we read it earlier, Matthew chapter 3. Holy Ghost descended upon him like a dove and lighted upon him. And it's by his spirit his ministry continued. Say, what's the Christ? He's the anointed one. Well, who gave the anointing? The Holy Ghost did. Amazingly enough, Christ isn't always a reference to it. But oftentimes you find that Christ is not just a reference to Jesus. It's also a reference to the idea the Holy Ghost was upon him for that. And you get strength from the Holy Ghost. And I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Say, where is he? He's inside. Strengthened in the inner man giving you strength for today to stand in the trials and the troubles that you have. Christian, that's what he's doing for you. Galatians chapter 5. How about that? Last reference in my notes. Galatians chapter 5. Thank you all for praying. My voice is, is back a little bit. If you prayed just to give me my voice back or if you prayed so you didn't have to hear me cough, uh, I appreciate both. Galatians chapter 5, you know the spot we're going, verse number 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Say, so what does He do? He makes your life fruitful. Christian, He makes your life fruitful. He changes what you used to do 
into what the Lord would have you be. He takes you from where you were in the lusts of the flesh and all the things that we have and all the troubles and the problems and all the sin that we get, in, get ourselves into and he takes those things and he says, this is what I want you to be. And he starts transforming you and bringing out the fruit that is supposed to be there. The fruit of the inward, the emotions, the fruit of the outward in your actions and the fruit of the Godward in how you and God relate. That's what it's about. Christian, could you imagine your life without the Holy Ghost? Could you imagine if you knew Jesus and, and you said, okay, he, I'm, I'm going to choose him as my Savior. And you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, but the Holy Ghost wasn't there to regenerate anything. Or maybe he regenerated and that was about the extent of it, but he didn't come to indwell you and fill you up and seal you. And your eternal security is questioned on whether or not you'll be able to handle it. Mm. Well, we lost there. Mm. What would it be if you didn't have anybody to comfort you or intercede for your behalf? Step between you and God and tell Him all the things you need to tell Him. Christian, what would it be like if He never gave you wisdom or understanding and never tried to guide you? What would it be like if the Holy Ghost never gave you the strength to endure some of the things you've had to go through? What would it be like? What would your life be like if the Holy Ghost didn't show up to go ahead and start giving you the fruit that he's been able to watch you grow? And it doesn't happen very quick sometimes. It doesn't happen very amazingly. It doesn't, you know, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, one day you wake up and you've got love, joy, peace, long suffering. It's a process. We're growing. Some of you could look back over five more years behind you and go, praise the Lord, I'm not that. Praise the Lord, I'm not what I used to be. I know this isn't a big invitation message. Just bragging about the Holy Ghost. But this morning, somebody quit praying. Get back, get back to it. Um, this morning I'm going to ask Brother Andrew to come and we'll do the invitation hymn. Maybe somebody here doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We'd love to show you. We'd love to show you from the Word of God what great things the Lord wants to do for you. He wants to save you. He wants to take care of all those sins. He wants to wash you forever and put you in heaven. He wants the relationship with you. He wants the Holy Ghost to be involved in your life. Let's go ahead and stand. Maybe you need to just come down and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry, I take the Holy Ghost for granted far too often. Help me to appreciate the work that he does in my life because without him, I'd be a train wreck. And praise the Lord for him. Once again, if you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd invite you to come. Get my attention and I'll have somebody else, not me. I promise I won't cough all over you. I have somebody take a Bible and show you. Your sins are forgiven forever. Father, I thank you for the moment. Lord, we love you and we pray you would just bless the invitation now in Jesus' name.
Amen.